Good morning, my little anchor buddies and designers. It is Wednesday and the sun is high in the sky here in West London. It's going to be another scorcher, 80 degrees. What fun we're going to have. I haven't had that much sleep because as you may have already known, Lulu the dog came to visit for a week and she was tossing and turning all night, which meant I was tossing and turning all night. So we have an action-packed day. I've got the morning, the rest of the morning at my desk and then the important meeting with the electricians, the curtain makers and the joiners, the carpentry, also this afternoon, all at the same time at the house. The clients have moved the schedule up a week because they can um, and the builders can just about do it. So today is very important to ascertain exactly what the final project will entail. We've added on air conditioning. Other than that, it's time to get to work. Mr. Tinian, well, I'm not sure where you live, but if you did live near me, I would be happy to come around and give you some advice. You poor thing. I know what it, I know what it's like. Everybody moves into their home and they either do something straight away or it takes them about a decade to get around to doing stuff. Um, I'm someone that is like the latter. I tend to live in a place before I start doing anything with it. This is actually a bit of a peril for most interior designers. We do actually tend to hang on to things far longer than we should. Um, if it's not broke, we don't fix it. Um, everybody else's stuff we fix, but we don't tend to do it for ourselves. It's quite funny. The opposite side of that is we want everything new all the time, which is horrendous. Um, but I've grown out of that, so now I don't change things until it's time to change things. There's just too much choice out there. On your second part, cost. Yes, this is another thing that comes up. People grossly underestimate how much things are going to cost. Um, but that's fairly normal in the trade, to be perfectly honest. So don't feel alarmed that you're the only one that has done that. Decorating is also a bit of an issue. People think that it's just you're throwing around a bit of paint and that they can do it. But actually, professionals have got to do all the cutting in. And by cutting in, I mean that's going around all the corners, the edges, the skirtings. That's when they use a brush and they get into all the nooks and crannies. And then they would use a roller on the large expanses of wall. So cutting in is doing all the intricate work, which is why it often takes um, the same amount of money to paint a bathroom as it does a living room, because there's far more cutting in and it's the time that it will take for you to do anything. That's what costs. And one wise word about paint, please don't think that you have to buy expensive paint. You don't. It's not worth it. Just get Dulux, get them to color match it. No one, I repeat, no one ever goes in to a property and says, do you know what? You haven't used the correct branded paint. No one says it because it doesn't happen. Good afternoon, my little anchor buddies and all designers who know how I feel and feel my pain. So I've had a very unproductive morning with Lulu the dog and then my mother descended upon us. That was quite hard to take, so I've left them to it and I've come out to attend my meetings. So it is very hot, clearly 80 degrees out here in West London, which means I should be thankful for the tube and its air conditioning. There's a few people dotted about in the sunshine. Very, very light cloud, very, very wispy out here. A few workmen doing some stuff. 
which is frankly a miracle in this heat, but good to see. I didn't know quite what to wear for this meeting as effectively it's not really with the clients, it's more with the different workman that's going to be doing the job, so I've opted for a long silk number as I should be running up and down stairs and it's um, very hot today. Yes, everybody is out in t-shirts. Someone's in dungarees. Well, I've seen those for a while. Those of the Muslim faith are dressed in scarves, of course. And the local fishmonger is here in his white coat and his baseball cap. Rather bizarre. Let's see what I have on my oyster card. do nicely. Four pounds. That should get me up into London and back. An Oyster card is something which the tubes and many of the trains, you can use them here in the UK and in London. And they're almost like a prepaid card, really. You can have a season ticket on them or you can pay by cash, depending on what's easiest for you. There is another way to pay for London transport. And that is by obviously your credit card or debit card. You can put those on the scanners and they work just as well, which is what many people do. I'm a little bit old fashioned in that I like specific cards for specific reasons. So I'm sticking with my Oyster card for the moment. And it can you can program it to top up whenever you need it to top up, really. So if it gets below a certain amount, it automatically transfers onto you from your bank onto your card, which is good. Available in all good shops, of course. I think it costs about £3 to actually get the card. It's registered. And then if you lose it, you can have your balance transferred over. Quite nifty. And they're rolling them out more and more all over London and the surrounding areas of London, which is great. It's funny being on the train, on the tube, because you can get to certain platforms and there are two tubes there, one on one line, one on the other. And one is air-conditioned and the other one isn't. So you can see who's really bothered by that as they run across the platform to get onto the cooler train, which is actually quite empty at the minute, seeing as it is at this time, which is about coming up to one o'clock in the afternoon. Now up in the centre of London, crossing the road, manic out here, lots of buses, lots of taxis, just going past the old building where the late Princess of Wales used to live before she was married, so if you've ever seen any of those shots of Diana, Princess of Wales, when she was being hounded by the press outside her own home, I'm just going past that now. I should really take a video, but I go past it all the time. It's a busy road, as you can hear, but that's not really unusual. I've got about a 20-minute walk in to meet my clients and everybody else. And we're also going to discuss the garden, because he wants the garden done as well and he wants some steps leading up to the front door in limestone looks very smart but needs careful handling does limestone should be good fun everybody everybody's wearing shorts it's quite nice to see because it is so hot but I don't think it's necessarily appropriate business wear attire I think most of these folks around here are probably tourists which is great um, 
But yes, shorts. I couldn't do that. I couldn't subject anybody to that. Certainly not my clients. Most of the architecture around here is Edwardian and Victorian, so they are huge homes, but really only about three or four stories. But they have pillars outside, um, black iron railings, and all the you have exposed brickwork really, and then you have rendering on top of that. Um, they're quite smart, huge front doors. Most of these are now flats. Um, there's not many that are sort of turned into homes now. Um, which is probably quite a good thing as long as the building is getting used. But yes, most of them are flats. And it's pretty much a conservation area around here. So all the new builds that you see wouldn't be allowed in this area. Or certainly not down one of these roads. The interesting thing is that there's very little parking. So there are, shall we say, a few parking bays outside, but not really enough for the amount of people that now live here. But because we are in the centre of London, most people will either take the bus or jump on the tube. Good evening, my little anklets. It is now quarter past four on a very hot and humid day here in London. The meeting is done. I'm glad I had some food before I went in. It's one of the perils of uh, being an interior designer. Um, and for any job, really, when you're running in and out of people's homes, that's the problem with it. You don't really get the um, chance to eat proper food sometimes. I, for, a, for a time I was packing salads in my um, bag just so I could make sure that I was eating something proper rather than chocolate and fizzy drinks. Um, so the meeting went well, everything was well. More things have been added on, which is even more hilarious really. So obviously the bill goes up um, and the work goes up. But some interesting thing came out of it. The walls are not straight, which I'm not entirely surprised about really because it is an old house, but uh, the ceilings aren't straight, so there are some fairly hairy moves to make when you're adding curtains and things like that. Uh, blinds won't be suitable because they'll be hanging um, off their true line, so you're going to have to have curtains in certain places, which means prices go up a little bit between curtains and blinds. Fact of life, I'm afraid. The good news is we may not have to do the full rewiring of the house, which means it will save the client about 25k, which is quite substantial. But that's fine. You may want to do it anyway, because I think it's going to be their house that they live in for another 10 or 15 years. So I think it might make sense to do all the work now whilst they are ripping up. The floorboards and putting in new plumbing it makes sense to run the wiring at the same time i've done a few videos which i will put together at some point um, and link to so you can see the nonsense that i have to be faced with on a daily basis walking through london today i'm reminded of how important it is is to keep the uptake and the maintenance of properties and if you think that nobody notices these things i can assure you that we do and designers are worse than anybody at this whether it's steps that are brushed, flowers that are in bloom, flaky old paint being taken off and renewed, it's all important and must be done. You can't be looking gorgeous if where you live isn't looking gorgeous. Better financially for you, of course. Um, I would say I know it 
it may seem that you can't afford it, but really, regular maintenance is better than sporadic maintenance, but then any maintenance is better than none at all. I actually wanted to touch on something that you mentioned earlier, like with clients not understanding, you know, when the tradesmen actually have to get in there and the workers need to work and, and people don't understand the cost of labor sometimes to make something as beautiful as it is. So I've dealt with a lot of uh, interior designers and architects uh, and builders because I was a tin knocker by trade for like 15 years before I stopped doing it. And um, yeah, so I know exactly what it's like when you're trying to explain to a client or to a customer or to a homeowner, listen, I need to put this thing here, which is going to bump you off the wall 18 inches. And they have no idea what 18 inches actually looks like. And you have to like mark it out for them and then they sign off on it and then they, you do it and then the interior designer comes in and pulls their hair out, screams at you and then you have to rip it out and then put it back in so that you can stay in line with the vision. So I know how stressful that could be in a day. <laughs> Lucky, a man after my own heart. I'm so glad you said this. It's, it's quite funny actually at the minute because this particular client... Um, that I'm working with, which is about to start in a week's time, if that. Um, I'm always one for actually taking the, the sort of, if you like, the prices down. I'm sort of almost holding them, holding them down because I know that the bill is going to be far more than they want it to be. And I know they're going to have a meltdown because they want to keep adding things on. Um, conversely, in this, this peculiar um, client's relationship that I've got at the moment, I'm holding things down and he is bumping them up and just adding stuff on, um, or at least with the proviso of adding stuff on. I, I, it's almost bizarre because it should be the other way around. It should be him holding things back and me apparently going wild and saying we could do this and we should do that. Um, and I'm not doing that because I don't do that. I'm not one for bumping up prices and all that type of thing. And I'm really generally mo on most jobs I'm paid a percentage so it's within my interest to bump up stuff but I don't do that because it doesn't need to be done and they've got it, they've got it all to do in this house um, so I'm trying to sort of keep a lid on it but you have to do what the client wants um, I'd also like to apologize on behalf of all interior designers if they have ever shouted at you because there's only one time I think when a um, when a designer really should shout is if they're not I suppose if they're not told but that's really it's it's their job to get that from the client sometimes most of the time it's it's you know it's not the builders fault it's not the tenderers fault it's it's no you know it's no one's fault really but the client um, shouldn't really be, be sort of signing off on this stuff it's horrendous you poor thing you shouldn't be shouted at it because that doesn't help um, but often you just as a designer you have to sort of explain to the client what you're what you're trying to do um, and why you're trying to make it easier for them in the long run um, but it doesn't always work that way and builders and tradesmen are in between um, sometimes you have to step away sometimes you sort of have to say if you really want the expertise of the trade person that's going to do it I can you speak to them and I'll step away for a moment I can give you the design aspect I can tell you why it's going to be better for you in the long run but it can be quite difficult um, but we'll see we'll see um, we'll see how this one goes. Thanks, Lucky. Nice to know that I'm not alone. You're not alone. 
Hello, everybody. I hope you enjoyed those uh, segments there. There's more to come. I would just like to add to this that I hadn't heard the term active sidewalks um, or pavements, as they're called over here in the UK. But I did um, think about this, and it really got me thinking about the whole way of how we actually work within cities. I mean, literally go to work. I remember a time when um, they first started talking about how the, the fact that the roads were overcrowded and public transport was overcrowded and how are we going to get all these people um, to actually do any work if they had so much of a trauma actually getting to work and the answer apparently was video conferencing um, now that didn't really quite take off because nobody kind of wanted to do it but they did bring in um, audio conferencing and conference calling as it was known and that um, went really well and that would have been good but Everybody that was at home and then took Fridays off and didn't work and all that sort of stuff realised that they really couldn't work at home. There were lots of people, many people, that were not self-starting and, and needed that team environment. And so it sort of almost came full circle where people were thinking, right, well, how do we get back? How can we get these people who can't cope with working on their own at home and having conference calls, how can we get them back into the urban environment? And so they did say, how about we do cycling um, schemes and they were providing loans for bicycles. I've worked in different places where that has been something that they did and then they tried to have sort of almost mini out-of-town um, places where people could sort of congregate in if you were in a particular area rather than go straight into the HQ you would go into um, almost a little um, a little outside area office that people would go into a bit like hot desking uh, but it was sort of hot officing if that's even a term so that was quite interesting and I, I do wonder now everybody is working so much more flexibly than we've ever done before uh, with the internet and everything else it allows us to do everything you know whether we're working on a beach or whatever whether it will go that way where you won't actually need to go anywhere at all and I do agree with you um, you know Jason because I think that there is a an issue here about people not traveling not going anywhere and just staying within their own small little if you like abodes um, and just logging onto the internet and not doing anything at all so it's it's a really interesting um, it's a really interesting topic I would like to see you know pavements and sidewalks used um, a whole lot more um, I think in some ways the only problem that I'd probably have here in London there's an awful lot of one unless you a awful lot of uh, sidewalks and pavements that are so small and it's now impossible to get down there because of the amount of people. And then you get all the mothers with their prams and then there's me and Lulu and all the rest of it. And it's just, it's, it's a nightmare walking down the road sometimes. There's no, there's no room for that. But it's how business is done. And that's how shops and everything is done. Um, you, have the, you create these retail parks and people don't shop on the high street. And that's a whole another story. Right, I'll stop rambling. But that's my take on it. Jason, it's Belinda. Um, just um, heard your question about if you could redesign sort of inner cities, as it were, what would you do? I think for me, it ha this has to be nature. I think if you're getting rid of the cars, then basically you're freeing up, if you like, all that space in the middle of a road. Um, I understand what you're saying about, isn't it very nice when there's no one around, you can just walk down the middle of the road. I often do this, even though West London, I'm in a relatively safe area as far as crime etc etc um, I often walk down the middle of the road at night and it's lovely what's even better is when you're cycling at night down a quiet road that's just fantastic so I would do more of that but honestly I just put trees and grass and flowers I think you just need to bring back all of that nature and just so you have the houses and the flats in between understandably but everything else grass trees flowers and shrubs all of that that would be fabulous and just keep them all looked after, of course.
Bye. Jason, thanks for that. I've just been sort of catching up um, with your station um, that I didn't have a chance to do because I was mid-Lulu nonsense. Um, this is absolutely true. The garden cities um, were set up at a time over here in the UK when they were people looking at environmentalism and I think it really first they were looking at different ways of actually producing whether it was agricultural food etc etc and transport that would serve particular areas whilst preserving um, environmental factors around um, there have been lots of extensive things on this and, and it's still rumbling on to this day. Planners want to get hold of the green belt because it's so beautiful and they can, um, they can build on it and, um, and, and sell off uh, the land for various different things. And what happens to the urban sprawl, as it's known? Um, and people have been fighting it for quite some time now. And, you, and every so often, every few months, something else crops up. Um, and we have, as obviously, as you can imagine, with the size of us, we have an issue with space planning over here in this in this country. So we are told that we have to go and look at, uh, first of all, if you want to build, the sites that people want you to build on are known as brownfield sites. I'm not quite sure what they'd be known, or, known as in the US, but they're known as brownfield sites here. And that's where they're in urban parts, but they could be a disused car park, they could be just a piece of grassy land where a building has been knocked down previously. And it generally means a space where a building has been before, why are you not using that space? Why should we be building on green land and grass and fields and everything else when you have these other spots? But of course, it's more lucrative to buy on something when you've got a large field or a large track of land with spectacular views, and that's what the developers want. So despite me being in the business um, of effectively construction and building work, um, I'm against building on the green land because there would be nothing left for future generations. Um, so that's my sort of take on it, but there's fascinating stuff. I'll see if I can dig some other stuff out as the uh, conversation continues um, or carries on on another day. Thanks again, Jason. Um, a, a segment and a, and a whole load of waves uh, well worth listening to. So my little anchor buddies, it is now 11.30pm here in London. It has cooled down a little bit, but we're waiting for another scorcher tomorrow. So Lulu's flat out, and frankly, so am I. So I will see you all in the morning for another fun-filled day. Adios, amigos.